Hey, good morning, church. How are y'all? Hope you're well. Hey, I want to just go ahead and give you a public service announcement, and uh, that is we do intend to restart Sunday school in uh, the first Sunday of September, okay? First Sunday of September, so yay. So that's coming up, okay? So um, let me give you just a little bit of a heads up on this thing so that you'll know, and then... Some of you realize when I get ready to say this that someone will come find you and ask you to be doing something soon. Okay, I just put it to you that way. And um, so it it really behooves you to leave here quickly. Uh, So social distancing means run from the pastor. So that's what that means. Okay, so but um, so I mean, number one, every person is responsible for their own well-being institutionally there are certain things that we try to do to assist you in that but we are not your mother you will have to take care of yourself okay i know that's a novel idea in today's world but uh you have to take care of yourself so if if you have physical conditions that just is not good for that then just don't come okay uh just just don't do it we'll, we're going to continue to um, have our worship services uh, through Facebook uh, on, you know, 6.30 on Sunday evenings. And so you can at least get that much. Um, if if that's the thing, like you just can't, you know, you're still one of those people that can't come. Now, I realize I'm saying that not to most of you here. I'm saying that for the sake of those that are hearing us, um, at, you know, at a distance now. So um, I, I wanted to say virtually listening, but that's what I did as a teenager, so it just sounds a little weird to me to say something like that. So those of you that are out there somewhere, okay, so um, you, you have to take care of yourself. Okay, the, the other thing is that um, if, if you have symptoms of any kind, please, you do not have a medical degree. Do not tell me, oh, it's just allergies, okay? I don't want to know your prognosis, if you have any kind of symptoms, runny nose, cough, you know, a little fever, whatever, please stay home. We do not want you here. That's the first time I've ever said that as a pastor. <laughs> and so we don't want you. So you need to stay home. If, if a member in your family is having symptoms, you stay home, all of you, every one of you. If you have been around someone and they're being tested for COVID right now, Stay home until it's clear. Now, what happens if you come down with COVID? Well, you're going to have to self-quarantine, right? So just use some common sense. Stay away from people if you fear that you might have been in contact with someone or if you are showing symptoms, okay? So please just do that for the love of everyone else. Now, when you come here, uh, you know, mask up. Uh, I'm not going to go around and tap people on the shoulder and say, put your mask on, you know, but just be responsible, caring for each other and doing that. Wash your hands often, all those things. Now, when Sunday school starts um, in September, I want you to know when you come in the building, everybody's going to have their temperature taken. Now, we have one of those, you know, we have some of those uh, fancy ones where you just do it on the forehead. But we have determined that if you try to skip around that, we're going to give it to you the hard way. So stop and have your temperature taken. All right? 
Is that clear enough? Security team, you know what your job's going to be. <clears throat> All right, so everybody's temperature taken. Now, if somebody has the temperature is going to be like 100, you're going to go home, okay? If your child has it, your whole family's going home, okay? So just just get ready to go home. So um, the, the point of that is we're not trying to punish you, but just trying to take care of everybody else, okay? Now, inevitably, somebody in our congregation uh, will probably get COVID, okay? So what do we do in that situation? We're not going to shut down church. Okay, if we're going to do that every time somebody gets COVID, we'll just not open again ever. This thing is with us. We'll just have to figure out how to live in spite of it. I'm just not going to live in fear. I'm just not, I'm not going to do it. Um, the Lord has allowed this and we're going to take every step that we can to be safe and keep each other safe and care for one another. But the church has never been one in the midst of hardship and challenges to go running away. That's just not what we do. And um, so <clears throat> we'll do the things that help keep each other safe as best we can. Okay. So um, I, I don't know what else I need to say about that right now. But uh, you Sunday school teachers just start getting ready. All right. So <clears throat> hopefully the days of Zoom Sunday school are coming to a close. Um, hopefully. Right. All right. Now then. Uh, you have your Bibles. First Timothy is where we are. And First Timothy is just about how to do church and how to do it the right way. And uh, it's a good time to talk about it because it's Sunday, you know. But uh, you understand that church is not just Sunday morning attendance in a building. The church is the people of God. And so church is going on all the time. We meet, we gather for Sunday worship, but that's not the end of our Christianity. Okay. So I, I think you know that. But the instructions that were given in First Timothy have to do with some of the practices of the institutional church as we work together, but also what goes on in our own hearts and our own lives. And today we're talking about how to maintain a healthy heart. And so this is First Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Now, the, the controversy or the thing that's being confronted here by this particular section of the, of the, of the Bible is false teachers. And Paul had already said to this church at Ephesus, which was a great church, by the way, but he'd already said to this church at Ephesus back in the book of Acts that false prophets and wolves will arise from among you. Those are the most dangerous kinds. It's easy to hurl rocks at the culture. That's easy. But when the falsehood arises from within, that's difficult to deal with. And evidently, these people that the church is dealing with in Ephesus may have been elders. And that is, they were leaders in the congregation. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had this kind of influence. And so, Paul has visited this church again. And he's leaving Timothy there. And Paul's already dealt with some of the problems. He, two, of the, two of the guys, he just kicked them out and said, you're out of here, dude. And so, he, he to, but there are others. There are other problems. And so he's leaving Timothy there and say, okay, uh, fix this. And uh, Timothy is thinking to himself, me? And so he's there and Paul has moved on to Macedonia. And so from Macedonia, he writes this letter back to Timothy and says, here are the instructions. Let me give this to you. And, and this will help you some. I've learned um, over time trying to help other pastors. 
is this. Uh, give them something to do that they can't do. Then they come to you ready to listen. Um, and, t- and Timothy probably was thought he knew pretty well what to do. And so Paul's throwing him off there in Ephesus. And Timothy's probably kind of drowning. And then now Paul writes a letter. And I'm sure Timothy's just <laughs> eating this thing up. Like, what do I do next? And so he, he's addressing these false teachers. Now, um, false teachers are rising from within. Um, I, I saw a, a guy r- wrote this book one time called How to Be a Bishop Without Being Religious. And, and so his, his whole idea was really find out what people want and kind of give that to them. And then you will become, you know, a very prominent bishop in that particular denomination. So he starts out with some things and he said, first of all, be careful what car you drive. And so you don't want to drive too fancy of a car, especially if you're in a rural area because people just have certain opinion about that. So don't do that. He said, secondly, you need to be married, but make sure your wife's not pretty. Failed. Anyway, just wife's not pretty. So he said, make sure that, that your wife's not pretty because it just makes people think certain things about you. So if you're wanting to gain the popularity as a, as a bishop, these are things you've got to do. And then he goes on to say, you can talk about controversial things, but never be confrontational. And so just be sure that you do that. He said, be sure you sing songs. Uh, the people love the songs that mention the personal pronoun. And he especially pointed out, you know, the popular tune or popular song that runs around in our circles, you know, in the garden, I come to the garden alone. It only mentions the personal pronoun 27 times. Uh, does it even mention the name of Jesus? I'm not sure. I can't remember. He walks with me and talks with me, but I'm not sure if we know who that really is. So... um Anyway, maybe it's in there once or something. I can't remember, but but uh, make, make sure you sing those songs. They have a lot of personal pronouns in them. People love that. It makes them feel warm and everything. So he just gives this list of things of basically how to present yourself to people in a way that makes you popular with them. And thereby you can be a successful bishop without being religious at all. And so... Those are the ingredients actually for false prophets and false teaching in the church. And those kinds of people are dangerous. Now, you know that some people by personality are more charismatic than others, right? So, and, and I don't mean theologically. I'm not talking about that. But some people are just attracting people. They, it is for some reason their person attracts other people. Other people are Teflon. They, they just kind of repel people. And, um, and so, you know, they're like bug spray to mosquitoes. This, you just don't. And, and so some people by personality, that, that's the way it is. But that's okay. But these, some of these, these people in the world, they will take the formula knowing about people and how to deal with people and will use it for their own purposes and gain. And Paul is talking about those kind of people here. And these are the kind of people that make for sick souls. They cause people to be spiritually unhealthy. The most frightening thing in the world is simply this. Your spiritual health hinges to a great degree on me. Now, every person is individually responsible for your own spiritual health. That's true. And you're responsible for your own Bible study and your own prayer time. But I want to tell you something. 
It, it takes an extraordinary person that would be able to overcome the leadership of their pastor and really discern, wait a minute, this is, this is just wrong. People have a tendency to let their guard down. They have a tendency to not be studious. They have a tendency to not care about doctrine. They have a tendency to, to be really lazy, if I can put it that way. And those kinds of people, it makes, it makes you ripe for false teachers. And this is what's happened in this church at, in Ephesus. And so Paul is giving instruction here through Timothy. And he's saying, you know, instead of making it so negative here, let me just say it this way. How to promote truth rather than take in falsehood. How to be truthful. How to be, how to have truthful and faithful leaders in your congregation rather than false ones. And so that's what he's addressing here. And why is this important? This is not an intellectual thing. This is a spiritual thing. The condition of your heart. And the relationship that you have with your God depends on it. The primary means of discipleship and spiritual growth is the preached word over the congregation. That's the primary means. Did you know really we're not given any instruction about a quiet time in the scriptures? We're given a few examples maybe. But we don't have any, there, there really isn't like do this, one, two, three, four. You know what we are given? We're given instruction about preach the word over God's people. So it's vitally important. So if someone is not faithful, someone's not true, someone's trying to lead you to themselves rather than to Christ, then you have to be able to discern that. And so your, your health depends upon it, your, the, your spiritual condition. Many people have been turned away from Christ simply because someone was not true. And so here's, here's what he's talking about to this church. He, he gives us this. And so I want you to take this to your own life, apply it to our congregation, but also in your own life, no matter what you do, where you go. And so he gives us, first of all, the means of promoting truth. What, what are the means of promoting it? So look in verse 3 and 4. And Paul says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promotes speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Now, here's what he's saying. How do you promote truth? What are the means of doing that in your congregation? So he, he says you've got to confront a couple of things. First of all, confront heterodoxy. Now, I know that might be a weird word to you. But if, if you're looking at verse 3, he says... Uh, to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. In the Greek, teach different doctrine is actually one word. And it is the Greek word from which we get this word heterodoxy. Now, what, what is that? What, what is he talking about here? It's a, it's a strange word, but I, I want to use it today because there, there are a couple of reasons. One, it's right there in the scripture. But the other reason is because sometimes you need to hear something unusual in order to alert you to the fact that you need to pay attention to this. And so he, he's not primarily, heterodoxy is not primarily speaking about false religions. Islam is not heterodoxy. It's a false religion. Okay, it's a world religion. So it's not primarily speaking about that. What heterodoxy is talking about is teaching that poses as Christian doctrine, but is really diametrically opposed 
to the doctrine of the apostles as clearly written in the New Testament. In other words, it is that teaching which looks like Christianity, but it isn't. That's the most dangerous kind. And heterodoxy always labels itself as Christian. It's not going to say to you, look, we're uh, deciding not to be Christian here. It's a, it's a dangerous thing. And so it, it can fool even the best of God's people. So it's a, it's a kind of teaching that, that takes some Christian doctrine, but then twists and changes others to suit its own need. Heterodox churches, first of all, will diminish biblical theology. They will say stupid things to you like this. Not creeds, but deeds. You know what that means? Just do something nice. You're a Christian. Okay, so anything that takes a little bit of spiritual muscle and strain to try to figure out, they just leave it. They don't require it of anybody because it would cut down on their numbers. They're heterodox. They're not orthodox. See, they'll say, oh, we believe in Jesus here. That's all you need to do is believe in Jesus. Which Jesus? The Jesus who did what? And the Jesus that taught what you are completely ignoring because you just want to believe in Jesus? The Jesus who appointed the apostles to write the New Testament in its entirety, every word, but yet you want to skip over those things that might offend somebody's sensibility? What Jesus are you talking about for God's sake? Quit being so naive. The devil comes in sheep's clothing. The devil appears as an angel of light. Don't be so fooled by these people. What are they going to do? They're going to formulate up a system. And the quote pastor is going to be responsible for directing and perpetuating this system. And it's a system designed to please you. It's a system designed to make you feel comfortable. They're going to say stupid things like we don't want sinners to be uncomfortable when they come to our church. I want them to be very uncomfortable. I want them to wiggle and squirm the whole time they're here. This is the gathering of the saints according to the New Testament. I want them to overhear the gospel, but this is not a Billy Graham crusade. That's not what Sunday morning is. That's why you're so uncomfortable with me. Christians. You want to come and hear Billy Graham preach so you can sit there and go, yes, yes. Get the sinners, preacher. Yes. This is so much fun. We just love it. Now, all you sinners come to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, it starts falling on you. You're like, I can't take this. He's mean. See, you want you want that. And it's natural in humans to want it. And those people know it. And they capitalize on it. And they avoid talking to you about anything that is clearly, scripturally difficult to swallow. Well, you can believe that if you want to. Some people believe that. And you believe that. And I believe this. And it's okay. We just all believe. But we all believe in Jesus, they say. Trump card play. Boom. That's like playing Rook. I've got it. 
And so you're supposed to just back off from that and go, okay. Why? Because you have not taken the time to actually figure out what the Bible says in any kind of systematic and organized way. So the days are gone when you can depend upon everybody out there in the culture to also believe on Jesus like you do. They don't. They've all got enough Jesus to be dangerous. That's about it. And so Paul's warning them about this kind of teaching. They're going to say that salvation requires faith in Jesus plus something. Or they're going to redefine faith as being something like, well, as long as you acknowledge and if you can spell it, you're in. Can you repeat this prayer after me? You're in. It's kind of like, can you say the code? If you've got, if we, if you can learn the secret code, you're in. And there's no concept here of repentance of sin and committing your life over to Christ in saving faith. They have no concept of that kind of thing. And they do not have the guts to say to someone, we will not baptize you here because we don't think your faith is true. They don't have the guts to say to a church member, listen, I wouldn't give you five cents for your faith because you don't walk with the Lord. You may have a profession, but you don't have possession of the king. And they're not going to say anything. As a matter of fact, they're going to erase membership so they don't have to deal with it. Am I being clear enough? This stuff is tricky and deceptive and it ruins people. And so Paul's just saying to Timothy, you confront it. You, he doesn't say to them, now listen, look, notice his wording. He doesn't say to them, now listen, you need to be polite from the pulpit, Timothy. You know, Timothy, we don't, and we don't want you to say anything about an, a, another group because they love Jesus too. What does Paul say to him? Charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. This is a serious matter. And so, in our day and time, it's become even more serious. Y'all don't have anywhere to turn except to the Bible now. You're going to have to go to the Scriptures. And you're going to have to discern. And so, Paul says to Timothy, you have to confront heterodoxy. You can't just let it go and hope that it's okay. You have to confront it. And then, and Timothy's thinking, oh boy. This is where Timothy is saying, can I come to Macedonia now? And then he says to him, I want you to confront this novelty business. Look, look what he says in verse four, nor to tell them this, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. What is he saying here? These false teachers were teaching, but it was for the purpose of gaining the attention of people. And how do you gain the attention of people? Novelty. Something new. Something they've never heard before. And so they're trying to come up with a system. Now here's the kind of of things that come up among us. Numerology. Have y'all been through that phase yet? If you don't remember that, it's coming back. And that is where they try to take about everything in the scripture and assign some kind of number to it. And then use the numbers as some kind of code to sort of figure out, you know, stuff. And so <clears throat> there are, I, I think there are numbers in the Bible that do have significance, but the Bible's not a code book, right? And so, you, you know, do y'all, some of y'all remember you used to get cereal and then you, you, 
you get a prize out of it and then you get these glasses or secret glasses and you can see the code. Some people treat the Bible like it's that. And that they're the only ones that have the glasses to see the code. The rest of us are dumb. You know, so it, 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 that, that's, that thing will come around. It always does. You have all kinds of things. Then you, you're going to have some people come around with the diet thing. Now, Lord knows we need to lose some weight. Okay? If that offends you, then if the sweatpants don't wear it, whatever, whatever. Okay. So... So, so listen, listen to me. But they'll come around with you to this and they'll give you this diet that, that'll say, now this is the way God really intends you to eat. This is of the Lord. And they'll give you recipes and stuff which taste like cardboard. And, and so you're supposed to do that. And what are they saying to you? This is a way to reach a higher spiritual level through diet. And they're going to tell you stuff like that. So it's coming. All right. They do. I, I could have made a mint off of this stuff because I know how it works. So these kinds of teachers were just trying to come up with something new and novel. And so then it becomes a matter of speculation. We think this, maybe that. But here's the problem with that stuff. What he's saying is that it does not affirm the stewardship from God that is by faith. What does he mean by that in verse 4? What's he mean by that? That is that God has an order. God has a scheme. God has a method. God has a plan of salvation for sinners. And that plan is strictly by faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone. Nothing added, nothing subtracted. That's God's way. These are the rules. Stewardship is a household word. These are the rules of God's household. You must repent of sinfulness. You must trust upon the substitutionary death of Christ to have paid the penalty for your sin. You must believe in His glorious bodily resurrection. And having believed that, you must surrender your life over to Him in faith. That is God's means and way. These people are adding and getting, getting you go a different route and be sure that you turn the TV off at sundown on the Sabbath and all these kinds of rules that they will come up with. The longer I followed Christ, the more I've determined that I'm just going to hold fast to the simplicity of the gospel and the very plain teaching of the scripture. I don't have to thrill you. I have to instruct you. I don't have to thrill you as a pastor. I, 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 don't, I don't have to come here every Sunday and make you wonder, what's he going to do next? You pretty much know what I'm going to do next. Look in the Bible and you'll see what's coming next. Pretty easy, right? So that kind of thing, trying to play P.T. Barnum for people for the sake of Jesus, is just not what's going on. Some of Christianity has gone off the deep end when we bought into this lie that we, brought, we draw people to Jesus by our creativity. Our creativity. I'll be creative, that will draw people to Jesus. Or I'll use my popularity, and I'll draw people to Jesus. Well, excuse me. I think the scripture says that unless the Father draws you to Him, you will not come to Him. That's what I think I remember the scripture saying. The scripture never anywhere says that I have to be the popularity magnet to make you and convince you to believe in Jesus. It never says that. So I don't really care which rap singer has recently 
said that they own Jesus. I, I hope that they've come to Christ. For God's sake, I hope they do. But do you know what I find is that when people come to Jesus, they suddenly become small, not larger. That's just kind of what I've seen in life. When they really come to Jesus, things change. Not using Jesus as a platform for more. They change. So here we have these people manipulating and maneuvering people through human ingenuity and human creativity. And what the problem is, is that you build a a, a cavernous building and you have to fill it up with people to pay the bills. And so in order to do that, you have the lowest regard for biblical fidelity because you believe that that is going to repel people. When I came here, somebody said, well, how are you, to me, how are you going to attract young people? Me? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to get a tight black t-shirt, skinny jeans, those cool boot things they wear. That's what I'm going to do. Make sure that my skin looks like I've never been out in the sun a day in my life. That's what I'm going to do. Yes, I love making fun of millennials. And so, that's what I'm going to My kids are that, so that's, you know. So, yes, that's what I'm going to do. And that should attract them to Jesus, don't you think? <laughs> Stupid. So, here's what I said to them. Oh, I just said that word, and you all tell your kids don't say that word. I just said it from the pulpit, but it's true. Some people are stupid. So, so here's what I said. I, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something weird. I'm going to preach the Bible. Now, they thought that's a bad idea because so, people have supposedly preached the Bible before. So, no, no, I'm not going to just open the Bible up and then talk about stuff. I'm going to preach the Bible. And you watch and see what happens. You're crazy. That ain't gonna, that won't, they, they said to me, that won't work. <laughs> I said, well, God will work. Let, let's try that on for, for, for change. Let's just see what God will do. And so let God be God. Let's do it God's way, which is not the way that makes sense, which is the very opposite of what all of us would think would, quote, work. And thankfully, I didn't have to buy that wardrobe to make it work either. This is God has his own way. The point of this is God has his own way. And we do it God's way. Or we don't do it at all. We just do it his way. So the means of promoting the truth is is often confrontation. Which is very opposite of what the world will tell you to do if you want to keep people and attract people. It's confrontation. You just tell them this is not true and we're not going that direction. So this is the means of promoting truth. I got to keep going. So what is the motive here? So look in verse 5. And so Paul gives us a motive. He says, why do we do this then? Because it would be easy for those that are teaching falsehood to say, well, you're doing the same thing. You're trying to keep the crowd for yourself. And we're trying to get the crowd for ourselves. And so you have the same motive. Look what Paul says. His, the motive of the gospel preacher is this. The aim of our charge is love. And notice where he says it comes from. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So 
the aspiration is love. The aim of our charge is love. And this is agape love. This is the kind of love that is a choice. And it involves sacrifice. And it involves self-denial. That's what love is. It gives away itself for the benefit of someone else. What these false teachers were teaching was aimed at their own self-promotion. How can I make myself bigger? And verse 7 tells us that their motive is to become popular teachers, to build a platform of self-promotion for themselves. Brothers and sisters, in our day, people are using Christianity as a platform. They're using the church as a platform for self-promotion. So that they can be some kind of pop icon among Christians. It's like we think we have to have our parallel to everything that the world has. And so these people mimic the world, but they Christianize it so that people will go out and make a big deal of them. That, that's falsehood. That's a promoting. Where are the John the Baptist in our day that will say, he must increase, I must decrease. And by the time my ministry is over, I hope nobody remembers who I am. Where are those men? Where are those people in our day? No. They can't take it. Their thumb is ready to hit Twitter the moment they see something that might get them some likes. Ridiculous. Self-aggrandizing people. And that is, our, our, our culture here, our Christian culture in this nation is eaten up with it. Just eaten up with it. Their aspiration of those who preach and teach the truth is love. And that is to build in you that gritty, determined love that will give yourself away for the sake of the person sitting next to you, behind you, and around you. The foundation of love. Where does it come from? Look what he says. Here's where it comes from. The sources of love are a pure heart. The Bible says, who, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Who, who may stand in his holy place? And the answer is, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. A good conscience, the scripture says. Conscience is the tool that God uses to convict us of right and wrong. And a good conscience, conscience is one is the, that is righteous one. And therefore, it's a conscience that is at peace. It's a conscience that can lay down at night and not worry about whether or not one's right or wrong with God. He knows already that he's right with God. And a sincere faith. These are the sources of love. Love doesn't spring up in a vacuum. They come from a soil. Love springs up and sprouts from the soil. And this soil is a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Sincere being what? It means without hypocrisy. The word means not hypocrite here. Sincere means not hypocrite. It means it's not wearing faith as a mask. Some people put their faith mask on on Sunday. Throw it in the trunk when they get out to the car in the parking lot. And you never see it again until next Sunday. That's not sincere faith. Sincere faith means this is what you are true through and through. It means you're real. Back in those days, they would take pottery sometimes and it would have a crack in it and they put some wax in it and fill that crack up. And then they would paint that pottery again and somebody would come to buy it. And you know how you figure out if the pottery was sincere? If it was true, you hold it up to the light. You hold it up to the light, you could see the cracks. It's the same thing, those of y'all that buy old cars, y'all, some of y'all into that kind of thing. 
You know what you take with you when you go buy an old car? A magnet. You know why? You're going to find out where that Bondo's at. I mean, they've got it all patched over and it's looking great, right? But it's not true. It's not sincere. There's an outer coating on that thing that's not real. And so that's the kind of people that those that do that. You can't build a life of love. That kind of teaching doesn't build love. Sometimes people think, well, pastor, you know how to, you, you know what you need to do is be more loving. Brothers and sisters, I'm doing the best I can. Have y'all looked at yourself? It, it's, it's easy to point a finger at somebody else and say, oh, he's not loving enough. Well, you, you know, okay. But I want to tell you something. Here, love costs something. And, and loving people is not about just walking around with a silly grin on your face like a possum eating sawbriars. Sorry, sawbriars. That's, that's not it. Love means that you do yourself in for the sake of their well-being. That's what you do. Some of you here love people and nobody knows how much you do. Because you're always doing something, giving away your time, giving away your money, giving away your effort, giving away your mind, giving away your effort, everything in order for their sake, just for their sake. Those of you teach Sunday school, you know what you do every Sunday? You love people. Nobody puts all the preparation in and does that and goes through that just because it's a good time. I mean, it might be fun like one or two Sundays. But, you know, you do that Sunday after Sunday. You're loving people by giving yourself away. These false teachers didn't want to do that. But love springs up from having a pure heart, having good conscience, having sincere faith. Now, how do you get those things is the answer. You know, there are different kinds of soil. You know that, right? And so where do you get this kind of soil from which love can spring up? Here's where you get it. True Biblical doctrine. You can only get these aspects and these elements in your life from the truth. They spring up only from the truth. You are not going to get a pure heart. You're not going to get a good conscience. You're not going to get sincere faith from false teaching. You can't get it that way. And therefore, since you can't have these elements through false teaching, love is not going to be what sprouts up. Selfishness is what's going to be what sprouts up. This, without true biblical doctrine, false doctrine creates selfish people. If you've never experienced that, become a pastor. And you build a church based upon everybody getting their own way and you placating everybody. You create a whole congregation of selfish people. And guess what happens? Eventually there's conflict. Because everybody can't get their way all the time. So you can't, so that's false teaching. That's not telling people truthfully, no, the Bible says this and this is the way we're going to do it. Well, I'll leave the church then. Well, there's the parking lot. Do you know the directions? We, we cannot offend Jesus trying to placate people. Jesus comes first. I don't know if y'all have heard that before, but he's, he's primary. He's preeminent. He's everything. And so we gather our lives and we gather our attitudes and we gather our feelings around that rather than around ourselves. So the motive for promoting truth, whether you believe it or not, even though truth hurts sometimes, doesn't it? Truth is difficult. It's not easy to receive. 
But the motive is, the hope is love. That what will spring up out of our lives is the killing, the putting away, the putting to death of the selfish person that we are. And in place of that, springing up the Christ-like life. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're aiming for. And brothers and sisters, that's called discipleship and sanctification. And it is a grisly difficult process in each of our lives. Okay? But that's what truth does. Now, what is the measure for promoting truth? He gives us verses 6 through 11. How do you measure whether or not something's true? He says, certain persons, in verse 6, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they, are, uh, which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, For the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers to sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Now then, the measure of promoting the truth. How do you know? How do you, how can you tell? If truth is being promoted, well, is there a confrontation of sin? If there's no confrontation of sin, truth is not being spoken. We, I don't know if you realize this or not, but we are not naturally geared toward doing right. Now, that may be alarming to you, but that's biblical. We're not as naturally geared toward doing the right thing. We have a tendency a propensity, even after we've become followers of Jesus, we have this tendency to, to see that which is wrong and start veering off. How much more if a person ha- does not have Christ in his or her life? There's nothing to hold them back. They're just drawn off course all the time. They, they're, they're always going to be that way. And there has to be a confrontation of that. There has to be a pointing out of sin. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, Paul says. What does he mean by that? Here are the uses of the moral law, not the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law has really no use now because Christ has fulfilled all of that. But the moral law, here are three uses. One, to bring order to society. Thou shalt not kill. That's the reason why that you put murderers in jail. It's the moral law. It's eternal. It's never changing. So the moral law is the way to order society. That's one use of the law. The moral law. The moral code of the Old Testament. Here's the second use of it. The second use is to confront sin and sinners. And hopefully run them to Jesus. That you confront sin in people. With the, with the, with the law. And hopefully that runs them to Jesus. That's the second use. The third use of the moral law is that it is a guide for Christian living. And we know that the law of Christ encompasses all of it. You see, under Christ, it's not only that we don't kill, but we love. Right? So it it goes beyond. It's not just be careful and don't do these things to people. The law of Christ says, go ahead and jump out and do to others what you'd have them do to you. Go beyond it. And so the law of Christ to love one another is, it encompasses all of the moral code. If you'll love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you'll love your neighbors yourself, you'll do the whole law. 
And so the law of Christ is this. So it is, it is a good guide for Christian living. You can read the law and be confronted by your own sin as a Christian and say, ugh. So that's the use of the law. So the law is not bad. Sadly, we've had years and years and years in America, in America of dispensational theology teaching. And that dispensationalism has basically told us you don't really have a need for the Old Testament. Maybe the book of Psalms you can keep, but the rest of it throw it away because that was that dispensation. Well, Paul is saying here the law is still in use. But the law was never meant to save. That's the wrong use of the law. The ro- no one can be saved by keeping the law. Never had, Moses couldn't do it and he wrote it down. So we can't do it. There's no possibility of people. That's the wrong use of the law. Now we do need to say something here about sin and, 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 and the sins that are listed here. There's a, there's a, there's an ugly list here of sins. And so you, you want to tell you, these sins really cover the Ten Commandments. Some of them are Godward sins and some of them are manward sins. And so it really covers the Ten Commandments. But let me do say something about the two controversial ones here. uh, Because for some reason in our, our day and time, people deny that these are sins. I don't think anybody denies that it's a sin to lie. If you're a liar, you know. And, and so I think everybody gets that one. If you perjure, we're kind of like, oh, yeah, that's a sin. If you're, if you're immoral, we're kind of like, yeah, they, that, that's a sin. But for some reason, especially the sin of homosexuality, we live in a day, even among Christians, they want to debate about that. Why? You know, I'm sorry. Let me just go ahead and say it out loud. I'm sorry, J.D. Greer. The Bible does not whisper about homosexuality. It's pretty black and white right here. It's wrong. It's a sin. And, and not only is it a sin, it's a destructive sin. It destroys the order of our society. It destroys the heart of those who practice it. It destroys the family structure. It destroys the proper raising of children. It's highly destructive. And so you say, well, sin is a sin. Well, no, sir. I want to say to you, God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of gambling. Some of these sins are so highly destructive. And as we saw in the book of Romans, this is kind of the end of the chain. When people get to this point, this is as highly rebellious as they can be, as polite as they may be toward you. This is the height of their rebellion against God. And that is this, God, we not only defy you as a creator, we defy the order that you have established for humans. We will establish a new order. Now I want to see, I want you to see, nobody could be held liable if it was an orientation from birth. But the scripture holds people liable for this. Guilty for it. Because it is a sin of choice. It is not a sin of birth. It's a sin of choice. Just like the sin of lying. Just like the sin of of perjuring. And whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Do you see? These practices are contrary to truthful, healthy doctrine. The word sound means that which makes you spiritually healthy. It is contrary to it. Now, 
I'm not, uh, you, you know, you could, people could throw words at me now. I'm sure I'll get it this week. That I'm homophobe. I, I'm not homophobe. I think you're truthophobe. You, you're just afraid of the truth. And it's the truth. So, I mean, good grief. So, uh, this kind of thing where it's, it's culturally acceptable does not make it biblically right. So, I, I'm just saying to you. And you say, well, I have a friend. They're the best person in the world. Well, you know, a lot of sinners have some good traits. Right? A lot of them do. They've got some good traits. It's not that every sinner does everything that they possibly could to sin. I mean, some sinners are terrible sinners in one area and they have just strong morals in another. And, and so it's just odd. I mean, how, how humans can so delude ourselves, but we do it with that. And, but I, I just wanted to be clear here. Now, the other one is enslavers. The scripture has always said that slavery is a sin. It's wrong. Now, in, in, in Paul's day, it was widespread. I mean, it, and, and by the way, all the slaves in there, most of them were white people too. So it wasn't, see, sin is not, it doesn't, sin doesn't pick out a color. It's just whatever that society is doing at the time and they just pick a group. It's always been that way, but it's a sin. And so kidnapping is also falls in that realm. It's a sin. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible sin. And so I, I don't know how much more clear we need to be about those kind of things, but that's just the way it is. It's sinful. And we have people in our American culture that have committed that sin. It was acceptable in the society and they allowed themselves to be swayed by society just like we all do at times. It doesn't mean, though, that everything they ever did was wrong. It just means they were in error there. So, be sure that you don't fall into error there, right? So, this is, these things have to be confronted. And so, that's what the law does. The law confronts these things. Now, how do you know that it's truthful? Is sin being confronted? And then, finally this, is it congruent with the Scripture? He says, uh, Paul says, um, that... These things are contrary to sound doctrine. And the sound doctrine he's speaking of is that which is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. I could speak a lot about this whole sermon there in one verse, but let me, let me give you this quickly. What is preached and taught has to be in line with the gospel. The gospel says what? God is the creator. Any doctrine that denies God as the absolute and only creator is wrong. Evolution is wrong. Theistic evolution is wrong. The gap theory is wrong. It's not sound doctrine. If you go wrong there, you'll be wrong in the end. Okay, so God is the creator. Secondly, man is a rebel. Any kind of teaching that says that man is anything but a sinner is wrong. Nobody's a pretty good person. Nobody. And the Bible says it clearly. There's none righteous, no, not one. Now, we, we teach here that man is totally depraved. What, what does that mean? Does that mean he has no free will? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means... That his affections 
and his decisions and his understanding is so infected by sin that he never will choose God unless God miraculously intervenes. Total depravity doesn't mean that a sinful person could not raise his children well. It doesn't mean a guy that's totally depraved, the the sinner without Christ, it doesn't mean that he couldn't be honest as a bank teller. It doesn't mean that he couldn't be a good businessman. It doesn't mean that he couldn't be a good neighbor. But as far as trusting upon Jesus and obeying the doctrine of the gospel, he is totally unable to do that because his understanding and his affections are corrupted by sinfulness. Original sin has ruined him. And we were all the same way. So, that's anything that teaches other than that, that man is able to trust on Jesus is false teaching. It's false. A price must be paid. The wages of sin is death. Anybody that teaches that the wages of sin is just a little while being separated from God until we buy you out of the place, it's wrong. It's just biblically wrong and dangerous. The gospel says Christ paid for it. Any kind of teaching that wants to add baptism or the Lord's Supper or anything else to the price paid for sin is wrong. It's just biblically wrong. It's just an error. It's unhealthy. It's bad for your soul. Christ alone paid for our sin. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, the Bible says. The gospel says that man must receive Christ personally. You do not become a Christian just because your parents were. Or if you have some kind of sort of membership in some kind of church, it doesn't make you a Christian. Man must receive Christ personally. And that is, you receive him by an attitude of repentance and a commitment of faith to Christ as Lord. That's how you get in a relationship with Christ. That's how you receive him in a personal relationship. The true gospel brings glory to God. Do you see what Paul says? With the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. The true gospel brings glory to God alone. It brings and gives credit to God totally and completely and zero credit to man. None. Any preaching and teaching that gives credit to people for salvation of a sinner is wrong. And Paul says this. With which I have been entrusted. Any teaching of the Bible that does not accord with the doctrine of the apostles is wrong. Are we clear yet? Okay. There is a right and wrong, y'all. And there is true biblical doctrine. And there is false doctrine. There is no in between. It's either right or it's wrong. Now. We do know that there are matters in the scripture that we're just not clear on yet. And we may have a difference of opinion like, I don't know, I think it may mean that or whatever. We know that those things are in the scriptures. But when it comes to the nature of God, it's clear. When it comes to the person of Christ, it's clear. When it comes to the working of the spirit of God, it's clear. When it comes to what the nature of the church is to be, it's clear. When it comes to telling us what, a, what humans are, the anthropology that we study in the scripture, it's clear. When it tells us what we must do to be saved, it's clear. When it tells us that Jesus is coming again, it's clear. So on the things that are clear, 
There is no room at all for differences of opinion. Because the scripture is not determined by opinion. It's determined by revelation. And scripture will clarify scripture every time. And so, beloved, why is this important to you? It'd be easy for you to say, well, pastor, you know, we know you love theology, so this is right up your alley. No, this is about your soul. You can get your theology wrong and lead your grandkids to hell. You understand what I'm telling you? You can get your theology wrong and ruin your spiritual life for the rest of your life. Go around never growing in the Lord, never getting closer to Christ, never getting closer to God's people, never getting on mission with God because your theology is wrong. And so this is a matter of, but not only that, you can get your theology wrong and you'll lay awake at night. Wondering. Unsettled. Lack of contentment. Lack of peace. And it's all because you just got it wrong. So here's what we find out. Number one, doctrine determines spiritual health. Study. Study the doctrines, the great doctrines of the Bible. Truthful doctrine will give you spiritual health. Secondly, fight heterodoxy in your own life. It's easy to look at others and go, oh, they're wrong about this, this, this. And that's true. But don't allow in your own heart and life the truth of God's word to become watered down. Don't start giving in to things going, well, it's probably okay. I know they're good people. Don't start giving in to that. I don't want to make you mean-spirited, but I do want to make you strong. We have a tendency to drift toward heterodoxy. Just know that about your own life. Where you're wanting to mix things in with the truth. And wanting to accept things as true that are just not true. And here's also the conclusion. is the gospel. The gospel is the message of a God who has sent his son to save sinners. Have you trusted upon Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you? You may have a pretty good handle on some of the great doctrines of the Bible. But do you know that Jesus has his hand on you? That's the question for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us today. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name you would take the scriptures and use it in our lives. Lord, we live in a spiritually dangerous world. In a world in which there are all kinds of ideas. And you're called names if you don't accept what everybody else is saying. And all of these things. And I pray, Father, you would help your people to not be mean-spirited. Not to be angry people. But to be strong people people that are resilient, people that will stand for the truth, people that do not back up in their own lives. And Father, the price that will have to be paid for that is going to be difficult. So I pray you strengthen your people. I pray, Father, you make their hearts true. I pray, Father, that you draw them to a deeper love relationship with Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would use the fellowship of the saints to be an encouragement to them and support to them, knowing that you can't stand alone in all of these things. And Father, I pray for those souls here today that are outside of Christ that do not know Jesus. Maybe those who have pretended that they are a follower of Christ, but really, really their heart has always been deceived. Father, help them to understand that they will never deceive you. You will always know. And they're going to have to answer to you. 
So today, Lord, is a day of mercy for them. And I pray that you would draw them to Jesus today. And they would give their heart and life over to him and be saved. Be rescued from the wrath that is certainly coming upon this world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.